Hello and welcome to the Tech Lunch Podcast, where we encourage our listeners to learn something new about tech every week. This can range from learning about new and exciting applications to the advancements in coding and technology. If you are always learning, you will always be a step above the rest. Take the time during lunch or during a break to listen and learn, kind of like a lunch and learn, but for the years. This podcast will open the listeners' ears to new and exciting technologies they may have not been purviewed to in the past. These topics will range from manufacturing technologies to data collection technologies and everything in between. Industries and stuff like that, it's starting to become more and more industry 4.0 relevant. You start thinking about it, you got relativity space, you know, doing, you know, rockets with a, you know, 3D printer. And that is collecting data as they build it and stuff like that for regulatory affairs and also for, you know, pressure vessel testing and all the other stuff, you know. But it's also controlled by, which we'll get to, you know, down the road is an MES system and a build system, SAP and all the other stuff. So it's actively connected to all these systems. So it's actually industry 4.0 controlled, you know, as we start moving forward and we start talking about, you know, stuff at a higher level. However, if we're starting to talk about like your um, uh, hobbyist, you know, printers and stuff like that, the stuff that most people are going to be into, they're not going to go out and buy the $200,000 printer that's connected to the network. But, you know, they start talking about future proofing because if you want to buy a $100 printer now, I want to keep the $100 printer for a while because I don't want to go out and spend another 100 bucks. Call me frugal, but that's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but so, John, when I'm starting to think about, you know, future proofing and stuff like that, What's currently available? Yeah, it's a it's good points that you make as far as like, you know, preparing. You don't I don't want to spend and, and I don't want to purchase a, a second device um, just because the first one went down or, or anything like that. Uh, when I when I think future proofing and what's what's available is it's more of how can I, <clears throat> I guess we get into that preventative maintenance. Yeah. How can I make sure that what are my my, my points of failure? How can I make sure that those points of failure um, can say withstand more temperature, uh, withstand uh, longer print times, like, you know, more sustained temperature, mm-hmm. can withstand uh, constant printing. Um, so constant like raising and lowering of that temperature, those movements, those, those stepper motors, are those able to continuously drive and, and does your extruder, does it have teeth that's gonna pull this filament? Um, like these are the things that are getting used the most so these are the things that you should most likely focus on, um, you know, if you can. Upgrading stepper motors, honestly, they're not crazy expensive, but might be one of the more expensive pieces. You, the first thing I purchased, I think, was um, was uh, uh, an aluminum extruder because the one that came on the Ender Three uh, Pro was plastic, and that plastic, you know, first couple prints already started degrading and already started denting and and deforming and was gonna break soon. Um, then you get into those dual gear, dual gear extruders. You know, it's pulling from each side instead of one side. You got direct drive extrusion, which is uh, taking away that middle tube that's feeding filament in, and it's going directly into the hot end, so it can directly, um, you know, <clears throat> get that heat, and it's it's more of efficient heat break in that sense. Um, so there's there's pieces like. Uh, we'll call them upgrades that you can do to ensure that your printer lasts a lot longer. Um, and, and I suggest 
uh, not kind of thinking about the things that you're gonna use constantly. Nozzles, don't be don't be upset if you go through a nozzle in, in a day. Nozzles are cents on the dollar. Um, I suggest getting hardened steel, to be honest, though, if you want to print higher temperatures um, or more abrasive filaments. Um, the, the print bed, I've gone through probably 10 print beds from glass, PEI, spring steel to, to just the magnetic kind of like, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I don't know if it's, it's flexible. I don't think it's silicone, to be honest. It's, it's some type of material that's, that's there that, that, you know, works as well. But so those pieces you shouldn't focus on as much, but your, your motherboard, um, get, get, get your extruder. That thing's pulling a lot. Uh, it's going to need to be looked at and, and your hot end, um, because it's, it's the one that's, you know, absorbing the brunt of the, the work, the heat. Um, and it's, it's what can you know, go down first. So for me, future proofing, get yourself a couple extra nozzles, get yourself maybe two extra print beds. Um, if you need, I would say maybe even a fan. Um, you can get better fans. The stock fans are pretty, pretty cheaply made. Um, I had to replace my fan in the first two weeks. Um, so those are some of the things that like I would think of on a hobbyist side to maintain my device uh, and future-proof it. Oh, sorry, another big piece that I didn't think about. You should get an enclosure. Um, it's good for the environment uh, of your 3D printer to, to um, keep it that temperature and that environment closed because you can also uh, limit the um, deviation from your temperature that you know just can happen from natural everyday elements so an enclosure honestly might be the first step so uh, I don't know from from the mechanical side like these are all the, the working pieces that that's why I I change those first I noticed the, the, the degradation and the wear and tear on it first but from a maintenance side or OT side like what, what do you think Ed when it comes to, to future proofing well I, I would say uh, for me we know that uh, most people are moving to a dual Z axis. So mm. with a dual Z axis, I would say the motherboard itself should never be a limitation. We should build that functionality ahead of time and say, hey, yes, it costs a little bit more because we added some more connections. But with this board, this board here covers if you want to add a second Z. Uh, yeah. This board covers if you uh, want to add additional sensors. So we should be able to... Uh, we should be able to engineer in uh, future-proofing. Uh, the material that we use for the hot end, we should be using materials that are uh, copper and coated with some special coating to compensate and deal with this heat that we deal with with one of the most important parts of the uh, 3D printer. Uh, nozzles is another thing. Uh, maybe it's better to just invest in a nozzle that costs you $20 per nozzle and it lasts six months as opposed to buying a bunch of brass nozzles that if I want to do anything with um, carbon fiber, right. I'm going to only get one use out of it. So you, the, the, the end user has to quit thinking of a 3D printer as a consumer device. The end user has to think of the, the 3D printer as, hey, this is a... Uh, commercial or this is an industrial device. So future-proofing to me is make it industrial, make it robust, make it run. Uh, you know, I, you, you can have a mechanical can open or an electrical can open. 
both do the same thing, but which one is more efficient? So efficiency should be built into these devices. Yeah, you, you make a good point, actually, because we talk about the future proofing, Nick, and it's getting to an industrial standpoint. It's getting to, because what is production? You, you think about that. If you're producing something, when do you not want to be producing? You want it to always be running. So if I need something to always be running, well, I need to make sure there's maintenance on it, and we get back to preventative maintenance mm -hmm. again. But it's it's if I need this to always run, I need to know what my points, my um, most critical points are. So uh, I'll say it this way: How many times do you replace a washer and dryer? You know, over a time frame, maybe you get seven to ten years out of washer and dryer. What about a microwave? How many people you know? Hey, I got to replace the microwave. So I'm saying that, you yeah. build a device so it's robust. Right. And, and Nick, and uh, you can probably can uh, continue mm -hmm. and uh, let Nick chime in too, but I think that's the difference. Quit making stuff that, that's uh, made out of paper and make yeah. it out of metal. Right. You know, it, it's like, you know, if you, if you can, you know, make things out of a, you know, hardened, you know, piece of equipment, you know, steel, aluminum, whatever. Hell, you can make it out of glass if you really felt like it as long as it's tempered. Um, you know, it's, you know, reliability, you know, especially if you're using something that's, you know, at a higher strength standpoint, you know, it can withstand the overuse, overuse, and overuse. And also most of those higher strength metals, when you start thinking about it, are self-lubricating anyways. You know, they are able to withstand the lubricants and stuff like that. If you think about it, you know, raw aluminum is, is not, you know, self-lubricating at that point. You know, hardened aluminum and stuff like that can be because you can add in the the coatings and stuff like that and stuff like that and stuff that do it during the treatment process so it's constantly got a layer of you know slick on board to make your rollers speed up and slow down is that's why we do you know chrome lined or you know chrome covered you know uh, guide rails and stuff like that because those on their own is going to provide a slick surface for forward and backward movement you know but you know, it, it's kind of funny that because most of that can't be controlled unless you got software on board. You know, you talk, you look at the different firmwares and stuff like that that we've got. You know, every single printer is going to run on a different firmware. However, they can all run on the same one if you really felt like it. Um, if you kind of you know, knew what you're doing, you know, everything can be on the same firmware. Um, you know, and that to me is another future new future proofing thing. If everything can run be run on one firmware then you only have one code base you have to update one thing you have to test one thing you have to validate and you know everything works from there um you know it's like you know i know there's there's different things out there you know and i know you know john you can you can chime in on this one you know is the is the different softwares that we have that can actually help you control those printers from a distance you know let you know when you have a problem you know give you the ability to hook up you know, MQTT or a unified namespace to your 3D printer and allow you to, you know, watch that data in either, you know, Power BI if you're using Windows or if you're using something else. You know, you can use, you know, Kibana or the Elastistack to build, you know, an MQTT monitoring dashboard for the Raspberry Pi that tells you what your, what your, what your, your hot end speed, your hot end is, what your speed of your motors are. And, you know, that kind of, you know, brings us also to a point, you know, where you have to start thinking about, 
you know, when do we get our, you know, X and Y and Z access, you know, drives to the smart drives that we have now in, you know, manufacturing where the drives themselves have MQTT on board. You're not really adding that much. If anything, you can add a, you can add a Raspberry Pi Pico to it, turn on Raspberry Pi and let her rip tater chip. You know, and now you have a drive that reports every time you get above a couple hundred RPMs. You know, and even though most of those run at a couple thousand RPMs, but once you exceed, you know, nominal limits, it'll report. You know, if it has an issue with the brakes, you know, when it locks in a brake for it to not move left or right, it should automatically report telling me there's a problem. Right. Or stopping the system if, you know, right. breached there's, like there's, a safety or something like that. Right. Exactly. Um, I, I want to, and I don't know, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll jump in because I want to talk about OctoPi and OctoPrint. Uh, but then I can, I'm going to go over to Ed after this to kind of get his thoughts on it. But it's, so there is an environment. Mm -hmm. uh, there is software. Um, and, and I'm not saying it's the only one. Uh, I think there was another one. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but Octoprint was the most recommended. Um, it's a, it's a Raspberry Pi image. Um, and they have their own website. They walk you through. It's all open source. You can uh, go and download their image. Um, Put it on a Raspberry Pi, preferably a 3B plus or higher or newer. Uh, the, the older versions can't really run it. They don't have the processing power. But load it on there. Um, you'll pick and create your user account and your admin account. And then from there, you use your, you know, whatever IP address you set for it. Most of the time is your external IP, which is the set IP for your home. You would connect to that. You put that in your URL of, of Chrome, Firefox, whatever you use, Edge, and it'll connect to an Octoprint server. You've created a server. Um, and that server <clears throat> itself, the Octoprint, if you connected that to a TV, it's going to be a command line interface. Um, it's it's going to tell you where to go, where you can connect, how you can connect. Um, and I'm assuming I haven't dug as much as I would like to into that, and I'm, but I'm assuming that's where some of my time lapses end up living so I can go find those files and move those over to, let's say, my Windows or, or if you have a MacBook, a Mac, um, so that you can do you know, post-processing or if you're trying to save those files, you can kind of have those. But Octopi itself, it, it can be connected to many different APIs, different plugins that do your MQTT protocol, subscribe and write. You know, it, it'll do, uh, so you don't even, you, you can probably get the middleman out and not even worry about the elastic uh, stack or, or, or any of the Kibana logging or anything like that. I mean, you could, I mean, it'd be nice to have more information on everything to be fair, yeah. but it's, it's one of those things where it has its own reporting system on there. It's reading me, uh, I have it set up right now, it's constantly pinging me every couple seconds what my temperature is down to the hundredth of a, of a decimal point. So it, it can go into that detail. You can hook up not even a Raspberry Pi camera, any camera. You got a webcam that's just sitting out doing nothing. Hook it up. You can 3D print you a mount, and you can mount it up to show you a live feed into your 3D printer. You, like if you're not at home, you're connecting on someone else's. As long as your home network is live, you, you plug in that IP again, it'll still work. You'll log in with the account that you made. You can see into that camera live feed. And then you can go one step further. Uh, this is the, the best part, and this is actually the reason why I started down this rabbit hole in the first place, is I wanted to look at it on my phone. 
I don't want to have to have my laptop connected to a Wi-Fi at all points of the day because how many times do we find ourselves without Wi-Fi? I mean, yeah. you could do a hotspot on your phone, but it's not the same. Why don't we just use the phone? <laughs> like, you just cut the middleman out in that sense. Yeah, so, exactly. So there's an app, and there's actually several, several apps um, which you can configure, and all they're doing is the same thing your URL is doing where you're connecting through and, and verifying your credentials. You're just adding the added security level of connecting that API to your main GUI. So it's, it's, it's wonderful because from, from work, not connected to it, I can look at my print and say, hey, my print has failed and it is now spitting out just hot plastic. I need to stop this, save my filament. Uh, honestly, right now, I can't clear the bed um, without like actually being there. But those are the next steps in the process and the project is, is, is to get to that point. But Octo, Octoprint is the... Um, is the image, uh, Octo, or sorry, Octopi is the image, Octoprint is the service, and then if you wanna expand, I bought three more printers. Okay, they can all get ran on the same Raspberry Pi. You don't need to buy a Raspberry Pi for each one. Of course, it's gonna depend on how much RAM you have. You can't do seven printers on two gigs of RAM, that's ridiculous. Uh, but you can run a couple instances of Octopi and connect a couple webcams, and you can have it all ran on the same interface. So it's it's beautiful because future proof. Back to our mm -hmm. same our main theme is is I want to protect the future of this. So if something's messed up and is continuously failing, this print or it's going to keep the the printer's going to keep doing what you told it to. It's not going to stop until you say stop. So if it's hitting something and it's failing, it's going to keep hitting that thing until it thinks it's done with that print. So you don't want that damage. I don't want that damage. Stop the print. Yeah. So, um, and I can get more of the other plugins so and things this, like that. And this is why we like uh, the Internet of Things. Right. This is why we like MQTT, and this is why we like the uh, unified namespace. It's because I don't have to poll. I can say, hey, I want this to be defined, and when that value happens, subscribe to this broker and give me the information. That saves you bandwidth. Yeah. Um, for me, when we're talking future-proof, you build this intelligence into the machine. I shouldn't have to... The camera is awesome. We can mm -hmm. use the camera, and it's good to be able to have some type of uh, supervisory um, in real time that we can right. look and see what's going on. Maybe I can make an adjustment for my phone. Mm -hmm. It'd be good to see where I might be starting right. to get off. Um, but just like with scenes and intelligent uh, devices we use for security, why can't we have that same type of technology built into a device that's being used as a standalone application to make a print? Hey, I, my print should be this. Verify that my print is that. Maybe I don't use just the camera. Maybe I set up a system where I use cameras and infrared, and infrared scans this device, and that infrared tells me if it's within the parameters of my uh, STL file that I put into the machine that's actually being sliced. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm going that way. Maybe I use some augmented manufacturing techniques where I say, hey, this is what I'm supposed to have. This is not what I'm supposed to have. If I keep on this path, this print will fail at here, abort. So these are some things we can build in AI, machine learning, mm -hmm. uh, tensor, uh, mm -hmm. Tiny, tiny ML, 
start using some of these devices with uh, Raspberry Pi, which are being done in Python. Right. We start to leverage these devices and put build that intelligence and that um, future proofing right. into the application. Uh, the same with the mechanics. Don't purchase a uh, NEMA 17 because that's about what you need for a 3D printer. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. that's big enough. Yeah. But don't purchase one that has only a few milliamps. Purchase one that's at two amps. So if I ever need to work in that range, I can. Mm -hmm. You you factor in your thirty percent. You mm -hmm. factor in your twenty percent. And Nick can talk about you know future proofing things by building it good or building it robust in the beginning, not waiting till the end to start building the robustness into it. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, is you know, we talk about you know pre-building your future proofing is you know kind of where you're going at. You know, it, it's, you know, build it right from the beginning, but overbuild from the beginning. Um, like you said, if you know you're going to use two amps, or you think you're going to get to that point and use two amps, damn it, build it to it two amps. You know, don't don't build it for, you know, you know an amp and think, eh, we'll get to it later. You know, because it's, it's going to fail in the long run. However, you know, and this goes back to the, the MQTT thing that we were talking about. If I can take all that data and dump it into a, a uh, into a freaking... You know, data pool. I can go back and see exactly what's going on at all times. So then I can use you know AI and machine learning to look at that and kind of you know look at a pattern of life. You know, I can see you know is my system failing? Is it going to be on time? However, but that goes back to the fact of you know pre-building the system. I want to you know future-proof the system from inception. You know, I don't want to build a system just to build a system. You know, I want to build a system that, you know, we have more RAM, more storage that I'm ever going to need for the first year or two. You know, I want to be able to plan that I'm going to have that thing ready for year three, year four, and then if needed, upgrade from there. You know, it, it's it's like, you know, constantly using, you know, Hyper-V and stuff like that when you have, you know, ESXi you can run on a server someplace. You know, and go that route. However, then, but that's also going back to the fact of, okay, well, why don't I just build an entire, you know, lightweight Linux server and run Docker? You know, it, it's it's one of those things. You know, why can't I have my Docker's auto start when I have failures? But, you know, that's that's future-proofing on a, you know, system standpoint. You know, we're talking about hardware and stuff like that. You know, everything is either hardened, but, you know, ready for extreme duty use. And, you know, and then everything else is either upgradable or to the point of where we haven't built it past that yet. You know, because I'll tell you one thing, if I start seeing a NEMA 17 with three amps on top of it on a 3D printer, we got some other issues to discuss. <laughs> you know, because that thing is now flying. Or on fire. Or on fire. <laughs> you know, but the one thing I'll tell you this is I hate to see the freaking power supply. You know, you, you have a, you know, a thousand watt power supply that all it is doing is printing out a Benji. <laughs> it will probably be the world's fastest Benji, but it will be a Benji. Yeah. And just to be fair, most, <laughs> most different motors would never reach their max capacity because uh, it, it depends on how you use the stepper motor. A stepper motor, maybe used in a CNC application, might reach those amperages, but never with a uh, 3D printed application. It's, it's not enough uh, 
you're not doing enough duty duty cycle things to, mm-hmm. to reach that. If you if you are, you undersized the stepper motor. Okay. Yeah. Literally, you you made the stepper motor a few milliamps. Mm-hmm. Either they're either that or your three D printer is on the fritz and it's doing something you don't want it to do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but that's where future proofing comes in. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, one of the last things, because I don't know how much I think we're we're getting close to the time here. One of the last things I wanted to kind of chat with. Um, was uh, kind of getting to something we've kind of talked about before, but not really dove into too much. Is um, so we talk about other uses for G code. G code. Um, what other applications, you know, in an industrial environment use G code? You've got your engraver, your your CNC machines. Um, you've got in some places the laser engravers, and then of course your three D printer. Um, I know that there's one printer out there now that's doing all three of these things in one package. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's enough because I also, first off, don't like the price. Yeah, no one does. <laughs> so it's a, it's it's a little, little ridiculous. It's a little penny, a pretty penny for that, but but I for think for a hobbyist like, too. Yeah, for a, on a hobbyist level, if this is industrial wise, I can justify spending thousands of dollars. If not. Oh man, you better really like this hobby. <laughs> right. I have a good day job. <laughs> um, but but my my thing is is that the, they're all reading the same thing, so they had the right idea. Why can't it be done in one place? Now every innovation has been more expensive when it first came out. You know, electric cars, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, this to me is the next logical step in the evolution of a 3d printer is for it to be able to have that plug and play i think ed was actually talking about it earlier today it's funny you mentioned it because i was think i've been thinking about that is the the uh, if i want to do engraving why can't i unplug the the hot end there and plug in you know the laser engraver a laser or uh, for a dremel or, or something like that something along those lines like why can't we do that much easier? Why is there not an exchangeable piece? And then to get to the how it relates to future proofing is is now I've got the three in one. Like when when you got your um, there was there was two in ones. Um, I don't have a good example right now. Oh, actually, ex girlfriend. Like a printer. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just trying to give an example where two in one is not better than each one doing it separately. So a two in one is is going to be good at two things but each thing is going to be a little bit degraded as opposed to if you've got two things separately that does one thing amazingly right yeah, yeah. so right now we have it, it, it each one exists independently and they're doing they're doing something that's great they're making things yeah so two of the things have the resolution one of the things doesn't what's that and 3d printing does not have the resolution with the laser I can get the resolution with edging Okay. With uh, subtractive manufacturing, CNC, I can get the resolution that I desire. Um, you can do that with a printer that has a scanner. I can get that resolution. Okay. The issue with 3D printers are mainly, we're talking about filament-related 3D printers. Resin is growing right. uh, in the hobbyist area. Still a long way to go. But that's the issue. It's the, it's the resolution. I have not... Uh, been able to find a system that can easily get me to a resolution of if I put it in a uh, CNC machine 
and I merely bracket, that bracket comes out almost perfect with the exception if I need to anodize it or polish it. Okay. Uh, and the polishing phase is a lot easier as opposed to if I have to do it with when we're talking filament. Filament yeah. is different. It, you will see some layers. Yeah, I, don't, I don't care how small a nozzle you use or how slow of a speed you use. There, it's just the fact of what we have at this moment with mm -hmm. filament. Resin is a little different, but that's just where we are, in my opinion, far as if we're talking doing all three in one. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking that that's the next logical e evolution of it. Oh, it should, it should, it, it should it, definitely it, go there. It should be. They exist separately right now. I, I, I don't see why they couldn't exist as one besides the sensors, which I agree to because the current camera 3D scanners that are available for seven, eight hundred dollars are scanning objects and only doing minimal polygons. So that that makes sense that it's not in a, in a resolution standpoint and ready to go. But that's, you know, next steps. But that's why the hobbyist market is. Yeah. If so, you think about it now, most of your yeah. phones can do that. That's yeah. why we like yeah, But you're going to pay $1,300 for a phone that can oh. do that. Yeah, that... So would you rather pay the 800 bucks for the thing that do it on its own or have something that can be a cell phone and a 3D scanner at the same time? I, I think the key to, to both of this... have for, it in the printer? For all of us. <laughs> that would be better. Yeah. Open source. Open yeah, source is go. the key. Yeah. Open source in the hobbyist market, the people that like to tinker, I mean, that's where the, the, the enthusiasm is. They are the people that will do all this testing and tinkering and... and come up with some of these things yeah. and now, test it. Now, let's yeah. think about that real quick because I know we're getting close to time and I'll go ahead and turn it over here in a second. You know, we start talking about open source. You know, you've got to make sure you talk about FOSS. You know, free and open source. Yeah. You know, yeah. open source, you're still dealing with possible paywalls and all this. You may get the code for it, though. No, I but mean, you end up with paywalls right. and now you got to go pay like Joe Schmo in some other location yeah. to unlock that functionality for you and send you a license key. Mm -hmm. You know, what we're looking for is stuff that's FOSS. Free and open source. Mm -hmm. Because right now, the only way you can future-proof something these days is to get into the free and open source realm. There are people who know how to do this shit, this stuff a whole lot better than the rest of us do. You know, we just haven't capitalized on it yet. You know, it, it could be some 10-year-old in, you know, freaking middle of Madagascar someplace mm -hmm. who's got a hand on a freaking 3D printer and a laptop. And that dude now can figure out how to do better than all of us. You know, you got these people in all these other countries who do, you know, stuff better than most, you know, people here do. Mm -hmm. You know, the only problem is it's untapped potential. And those people are the ones that are figuring out how to future-proof the stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the, but that's a good thing about, you know, having the, you know, like, you know, we talk about all the time, the audience that we have. You know, who knows? You know, some of those guys and or gals who are listening to us, they may be the ones who come after us and figure out how to make a future-proof 3D printer or a future-proof system that can overtake what we currently have, you know, and also take that future-proof system and make it affordable, you know, because everything starts out expensive and goes affordable, like what John was saying. Mm -hmm. But you know, the thing is, it doesn't always have to be that way. Yeah. Um, but you know, the thing is, is right now it's capitalizing on people. You know, it, it's you know reaching out, you know, you know, stem hands, you know, open and stuff like that. To you know, bring people into the into the world of STEM and get people in, in, invested in it, and wanting to be part of it, you know. And now I, th I think we've kind of hit that point where you know it's you know, hey, we're welcoming you with open arms. You know, tell us what you know what's going on. You know, help us help you. 
Yeah. And, you know, with that, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll say this, you know, I think everybody who, who listens to us, you know, globally, you know, we're looking at the statistics today and it's, you know, seeing where we're getting listened from, you know, we, we say thank you. You know, if I could say thank you in all your native tongues, I would. However, I could barely have the, you know, the, the you know, the uh, language that I got now. Still working on English. So, yeah, that was still English part is still freaking <laughs> kicking my butt. But, you know, we'll get there. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say thank you to everybody. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll, uh, you know, see y'all soon and hopefully get some ideas from you. Um, so, but I'm going to turn it over to whoever wants to take it. And uh, we'll leave you with the, uh, you know, the charge of the day. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll uh, you know, see you all later. So I think we're going to let Champ give the last word. So I'll, just, right. I'll just say this. Who would have thought in 1970 <laughs> that, or in the 70s, when I was watching reruns of Star Trek, that I would see a flip phone? You know, yeah. so for me, I've seen things advance from science fiction to science fact. So I think that the big thing, when we start talking future-proofing, we're talking about... Um, people carrying the torch for the next, you know, the next iteration of whatever device. Um, and I, I say it's uh, no better person to take us out than uh, Champ. No, oh, I appreciate that. I mean, first off, again, I think I said every week, thank you guys, because I don't have the platform. Uh, I didn't have the platform before to even speak on these things. So all these ideas or this knowledge <coughs> just lived with me and I just kind of talking to myself into oblivion or my brothers actually because they're kind of the ones who started me on this but um, there's a couple things a couple themes that we talked about that I've had with me since before I started you know studying physics um, and actually I found it while I was studying physics and there's there's a uh, something that Stephen Hawking said um, and he said well it was I only got to the point I am today, standing on the shoulders of giants. And that meant so much to me because he could only do the, his science and his physics because of uh, Isaac Newton, because of Galileo, because of mm-hmm. Einstein, all those that came before him. So for me, it's the same thing. The only, way, only reason I can do these things is because of the people who came before me. And the only thing I ask of those that come behind me is that we continue this knowledge. So that's that's all I really wanted to say. And if, if you have any interest in any of those books that um, you know those authors have, even if they're old, they're still worth reading because that's the knowledge that still applies. So thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Tech at Lunch podcast, where we hope you learned something about tech during your break or during your lunchtime. If you did, please give us a follow to prevent missing future episodes. If you have any ideas or something you want to hear or learn about, please send us a show idea to podcast at vulcanora.com. Hope you have a good rest of the day and continue learning.